Hello, Freaks of the Macabre. This is the Horror Hound. Welcome to the Horrorverse. This is episode 8, and I am going to be talking about the movie The Possession, starring Jeffrey D. Morgan. So, essentially what this movie is about, it's, um, Malema boxes abound in horror movies like the Rubik's Cube-like container in Hellraiser, and which being one of the most memorable, their, con their contents inevitably wreaking havoc on humankind. So we're like opening a Pandora's box, right? So the rowdy receptacle in The Possession is no different. This demon possession movie starring Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Natasha Callas, and Kira Sedgwick is based about a young girl who buys an antique box at a yard sale, and she is unaware that inside the collectible lives a malicious ancient spirit. <clears throat> the girl's father teams with the ex-wife to find a way to end the curse upon their child. Although nominated for numerous awards, this movie was incredibly done so well, it did not win any awards according to the Internet Movie Database, IMDb. So, the making of this 2012 horror film, which is loosely based on the true story of a cursed wine cabinet, or known as the Dibbit Box, was played by an unfortunate supernatural occurrence, or simply an evil spirit from Jewish folklore. <clears throat> and when I say that this movie is based on a true story, which is basically Hollywood's way of saying that there's a lot of truth bending going on. But what really happened? What is the truth behind the possession? We're going to dig into that. The true story is quite fascinating, and like most of them, hard to believe. I find the notion of buying a complete stranger's junk at a garage sale interesting, mostly because you'll never know the exact history behind that object. Could it be that the home of an evil spirit that's ready to latch onto a new owner? Because of that, I decided to investigate the truth behind the possession and the stupid box. While I couldn't find much more on what the famous stupid box, where it came from, where it originated from, it was the mid-2000s when its haunting story first surfaced. It all started with a weird listing on eBay for an old wine box and had a starting bid of $1. In the box, there were locks of hair, a couple pennies, a wine cup, a slab of granite that had been engraved, a dried flower, and, you know, roughly 50 bids later, the wine box ended up selling for almost $300. Not bad for a strange box, especially on eBay auction, right? So, that's for sure. And we covered all that. The, the seller bought it from another seller who was the first modern-day buyer of the box. The initial buyer, Kevin Manis, says this box was purchased at the estate sale of a 103-year-old woman who is a Holocaust survivor. The old woman was the only person in her complete family to survive. When she came to the United States, she only brought three things with her. A, stream, a streamer trunk, a sewing box, and this wine cabinet. The granddaughter who managed the estate remembered that her grandmother was terrified of the box and would insist that her family never, ever open it up. When the buyer had offered the box to her, she immediately refused it. Um, before the buyer could even get home with the box, managed to see the nervous and frantic call from one of his employees at the furniture shop that he owned, claiming that someone was in the shop destroying the place. When Manus finally arrived, he found this store or his store covered in broken glass, but he never did find the mysterious stranger. That same day, his employee quit and never returned. Manus soon cleaned up the box and gave it to his mother for her birthday. And within minutes of receiving the box, she had a stroke and lost the ability to speak for some time. Of course, Manus doesn't put two and two together and attempts to give the box to many of his friends and family members, all of which who did take the box 
Give it back to him shortly after. Indian givers. Good God. Young grateful son of the bitches. And I'm kidding. Just relax. Some of them said that the doors wouldn't stay closed and would open on themselves. Others smelled a strange mixture of jasmine and cat urine while owning the box. Ooh. So while Mattis sold it to a couple that they eventually left it on his doorstep two days later with a note that said, this has a bad darkness. Now that Mattis just couldn't get rid of the box, he started to have terrifying recurring nightmares about his friends turning into a demon and beating him to a pulp. He claims to have wakened from these nightmares with bruises all over his body. All the family members who had taken possession of the box suffered from the exact same nightmare or nature, whatever you want, nature nightmare. If that wasn't bad enough, on the Friday 13th, Mattis found all 10 fish in his aquarium had died. Coincidence? Wow, what a quinkadink. <laughs> so, this obviously begs the question, why the hell not throw the damn thing away? Burn that motherfucker and throw it away. Just saying. Come on now. So, the reason is that Mattis was so afraid to destroy the box that he worried it would cause whatever evil spirit that he believed might be haunting it would stay with him forever. Chicken shit. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right. Customarily, if something like this happens, they say you are supposed to formally transfer ownership for the spirit to move on, except you could never find anyone who would keep it for more than a couple days. I'm sorry. If someone gave you a strange box with with Hebrew engraving on it, knowing this box has some kind of history, I wouldn't No, I wouldn't take possession of either. Sorry, I'm digressing. So instead, he sold it on eBay for, eBay for $140 to a college student, Losef Nitsky. I'm sorry if I, if I butchered names there, Losef. Walser claims that I've had similar bad luck. Nitsky said that, that in the seven months that he had possession of the box, he and his roommates fell victim to many injuries like broken fingers, bronchitis, swollen red eyes, and insomnia. Also, their house became plagued with decaying dead mice, and their electronics would die daily. The worst came over in this game when the healthy twin-year-old started losing his hair. It's genetics, dude. We talk about relax. Currently, the box in the hands of the University Museum curator by the name of Jason Haxton in the Still College of Osteopathic Medicine Museum in Kirksville, Missouri, who has experienced some of the same illnesses and has also smelled the odd mixture of jasmine and cat urine, like many of the other owners. The reason Haxton is interested in the box is because of its religious background. So, there are Hebrew etchings all over the box, and it's believed to contain a divic, a malevolent, misplaced Jewish spirit. It is said the soul has been unable to fill, fulfill its function during its lifetime is given another opportunity to do so in divic form. So, the divic box moves toward understanding and exposing the truth at the smallest level. The original acting out against its early owners and others was a way of continuing to move forward the goal of its creator. Those not willing to move it forward receive stronger assaults from until they let loose of the box so it could find someone who would fulfill its destiny and accomplish the goal or task it was given. Now the journey and his work is finished, the divot box remains contained with no request of anything from but it will still stay in neutral state. Meaning I guess the divot box is still has is still possessed by that that that, that is still housing that demon, waiting for a new host to, to possess, I guess. Okay. So as we go back to the movie, okay, so back to the movie. In the movie, Clyde and Stephanie are a separated couple who share custody of their two children, Emily and Hannah. When Clyde, played by Jeffrey Dean Morgan, takes his children to a yard sale during their visit with him, 
He picks up the divot box after his daughter, Emily Natasha Callis. She takes a major interest in it. The strange box with has etched is, is with is etched with Hebrew letters starts to have negative effects on the family. Upon returning home with the box, she begins to hear strange whispers, exhibits increasingly sinister behaviors. Eventually, it is discovered that she has been possessed by the Dybbuk who resides within the box. So, the movie Possession is a serious horror film about supernatural possession that hangs on more than loud noises that scare us, like The Exorcist, uh, the best film in the genre. It is inspired by some degree of religious scholarship and creates authentic characteristics in the real world. That religion that takes demon positions um, seriously makes them more fun for us, even as the unpossessed. The possession of the title is the actual object, a dark wooden box cleverly locked shut. It has a carved engraving in Hebrew informing the finder that the box entraps a divic, an evil spirit that will cleave to the soul of anyone unlucky enough to release it. Diviks are a familiar element of Jewish folklore. All of this unfolds as a conceivable narrative and does not depend on a young girl's history of tragedy between her parents. That comes later. Uh, it is just as it's billed, a divot box inspired in fact by an actual box described in a well-known article published in the Los Angeles Times. Whether the real box caused the phenomenon on display in the film, I somehow doubt, but I don't want to open it to find out. That's for sure. The father of the two girls had just moved into a new suburban house. One of those places with fresh paint and empty rooms is very sterilely makes a contrast with the old world gloom of the divic. After opening the box, Emily begins to act strangely, becomes intensely possessive about the box, disturbs her father, and teaches her. And, oh, I'm sorry, and the teachers at her school and inspires her mother to suspect and mistrust her ex-husband. Kira Sedgwick and Jeffrey Dean Morgan play the couple with film realism and without showy tantrums. So one of the scariest things about the possession is that the characters are all real before Emily begins to change. What I like about is that it's directed by Olud Berndahl, some Swedish dude. So he makes the contents of the box macabre without going nuts without special effects. There's also a small container of a curious mechanical insectoid object. Various other unknown artifacts is somehow most frightening of all. Moths, lots of moths. Uh, moss in a box sealed for centuries are far more sinister than CGI dragons and such like. In a captivating second act, Clyde consults a Jewish professor at the school where he coaches basketball, learns the translation of the words carved on the box, and seeks help from a community of Hasidic Jews in Brooklyn. A group of old men in a synagogue fearfully puts distance between themselves and the box. But the rabbi's younger son, Zadok, played by the famous... Mati Jahu, the, the Jewish rapper, R&B guy, which, is kind of, which I thought was really cool, by the way, believes it's his duty to help when a life is in danger, and this leads to a frightening attempt of exorcism. Mati Jahu makes a compassionate exorcist. I think he did very excellent in the movie. I looked him up. He builds himself as a Hasidic reggae superstar. Apparently, in real life, he has some problems with divics, but he's effective here as the earnest young man who sign, or sings along with his iPod, but has also absorbed much theological lore from his father. The scene where he goes mano a mano with the Dybbuk will remind lots of people of Max von Sydow's face with a demon in the movie Exorcist. Comparisons can be made with Linda Blair's suffering in the film and Natasha Kallis's torture performance here. Fair enough, the Exorcist has influenced a lot of films, and this is one of the better ones. 
Even if you resist the film's claims of being based on one's family actual experiences, the possession is eerily enjoyable whole. Perched somewhere between the Exorcist and the Amityville Horror, and with a dash of the Unborn, the story benefits from an unusually restrained sound design and special effects that enhance but never obliterate, obliterate its troubled family center. The presence of Mr. Morgan, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, um, whose easy charm most recently anchored the sexy stars, Dramatic Magic City, should not be undervalued. It's not easy being a fantasy father and a demon hunter rolled into one, which he also played a really excellent show, uh, role in the show Supernatural as, um, oh God, it's been so long since I've seen that show. Yeah, I can't remember anyway. doesn't matter. Moving on. So with swirling overhead shots, looking down on the great suburban homes and an often drawn out piano notes, Director Old Burn Dog gave a rather invigorating look at exorcisms when this movie was released in 2012. When the dimmick begins smashing objects and people in equal measure, it's terrifying. The scary scenes don't simply fill the time or offer themselves up to the commercials, but build to the conclusion. Even if it's an assumption that we've seen before, I still would think twice about buying an ancient box in yard sale with a terrified woman screaming at me. Just a thought. If you're looking for a scare while stuck at home, this is a good one. Now, whoever said that the best things always come in small boxes is full of shit. Just saying, dude. <laughs> this movie proves it's not true. So they say, well, good things come in small packages. No, because that small package may contain a fucking pissed off demon. Don't fuck with it. Do not open it up because you, you open Pandora.box in my presence, I'm going to beat you to a pole. Just saying. So here's some eerie facts about the movie. I don't know if they're actually true or not. These are things that have direct that have been directly derived and said by Jeffrey Dean Morgan while on the set filming the movie Possession. So the first one is the cast and crew stated that light bulbs would explode in the middle of key scenes. Okay, maybe they just put too much power on the fucking electricity. Did you ever think of that, Jeffrey Dean Morgan? Probably not. Okay, so additionally, cold burst of wind could be felt inexplicably blowing through the closed sets. Maybe someone had to go take a leak open the door, and a cold draft went through. Who knows? I mean, if I experience that kind of shit, I close it. I'm like, oh, who's going to take a shit? Tell us next time. Thank you. And actor Jeffrey Dean Morgan, a self-called skeptic, was spooked by these incidents. He said the creepiest moment of all was when the Dibbing's box prop was destroyed in a fire. Okay, so it, it got caught in a fire. So what? How's that creepy? Maybe someone decided to throw a lit cigarette onto a fucking gasoline pile. Who knows? And this shit just got caught in the fucking mess. <laughs> it's strange, right? I know. On the next episode of the Horrorverse, join me, the Horror Hound, as I talk about the movie A Nightmare on Elm Street, which was released in 1984. The iconic baddie Freddy Krueger kills teenagers via their dreams in Wes Craven's franchise-launching film. Craven told Value Vulture that the idea stemmed from an article he read in the Los Angeles Times about a family of Cambodian refugees with a young son who reported awful nightmares. He told his parents that if he slept, the thing chasing him would get him. So he tried to stay awake for days at a time, said Craven. When he finally fell asleep, his parents thought his crisis was over. Then they heard screams in the middle of the night. By the time they got to him, he was dead. Hmm. He died in the middle of a nightmare, and he was a younger he was a youngster having a vision of a horror that everyone older was denying. That became the central line of Nightmare on Elm Street.
interesting facts. We shall talk about that in the next episode. Until then, my freaky friends, stay creepy, stay safe, and thank you for listening. <laughs>